All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. I'm so glad uh, that you've taken some time this weekend to be with us. Before I dive in, I want to let you know that next weekend, we are kicking off a new series called Drift. I've noticed over the course of this last year, many people drifting, even our culture and country in some ways, drifting. And the thing about drift is it's subtle and it's incremental. You don't necessarily notice it on a day-to-day basis until one day you wake up and go, wait a minute, how, how did we get here? How did I get here? And so next week's message is on relational drift. And some of us know what this is like if you're married or you have parents or kids. You can just feel that like over time you've grown apart. There's relational drift. Week two is spiritual drift. You don't even realize it, but all of a sudden, the passion you used to have for God isn't there anymore. And then week three might be the most interesting. It's a cultural drift. Has our whole country begun to drift away from biblical values and morals? You won't want to miss this series. It starts next weekend. It's called Drift. Now, today, we are wrapping up a series called The Shocking Claims of Jesus. Jesus claimed the ability to heal the sick forgive sins, and grant eternal life. He said things like, the first will be last, and the last will be first. He said things like, anything is possible for those who believe. But today's claim is the most shocking of all. This is the claim that got Jesus crucified and killed. If Jesus had simply said, hey, anything's possible for those who believe, and I can heal the sick... He might have lived until he was 80 years old. People aren't real offended by anything is possible, but Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus went on to claim that he was the son of God, and that's what got him killed. In fact, today I want to ask you what I believe is the most important question that anybody will ever ask you in your life. I'm serious. I'm not like overstating this. I truly believe this is the most important question that anybody will ever ask you. And there's a lot of important questions, aren't there? I mean, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's? You need to know where you stand on that. I had someone last night yell out Cane's. So they rejected my either or. They were like, no, I'm a free thinker. I'm Cane's. For me personally, I'm in team Chick-fil-A. But I do think the spicy chicken sandwich at Popeye's is just a little bit better. Another important question for you, do you put fruit on your pizza? I mean, that's a, that's a sharply dividing question. I'm okay with it. I don't mind Hawaiian pizza. Put a little pineapple on there. I'm, that's fine with me. Here's one that will blow your mind. Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> My son brought this up to me about a month ago, and I said, No. He said, why not? It's two pieces of bread. There's meat in the middle. You throw some ketchup, mustard, relish, other kinds of things. I mean, why isn't it a sandwich? I couldn't answer him. We argued about this for like an hour. Now, I realize I've lost some of you now for about the next 20 minutes because you're going to be like, what do you think? You think it's a sandwich? And you're just going to have to wait till the car ride home, okay? You can talk about that, but talk about it on the car ride home Because I want to ask you what I believe is the most important question anybody will ever ask you. This is a question that how you answer it is going to shape your values and your behavior. It's going to determine what happens to you after you die. Here's the question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus himself asked that question 
at one point. It's found in Mark chapter 8. We'll pick things up in verse 27. It says that Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. Now, what, what is Caesarea Philippi? Well, it was a city, and in the ancient world, it was known for its worship of Greek gods, Greek mythological gods. Specifically, in Caesarea Philippi, they worshiped the god called Pan. Pan was the god of the wilderness. Here's a depiction of what Pan looked like. Kind of looks like a character out of Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings or something like that. But because Pan was the god of the wilderness, he wasn't worshipped in temples or man-made buildings. He was worshipped in caves and natural outcroppings. One of these caves, which was located in Caesarea Philippi, was known as the Gate to Hell. It was said in the back of this cave that there was a portal that would go to hell, and during the winter months when it was cold... Pan would go through this portal, through this gate, to hell. Apparently he was like a snowbird god, didn't like the cold weather, Florida was too busy, so he went to hell. But but this is kind of how they believed. (laughs) Went through the back of this cave. And people would gather in the cave to worship Pan. Now when I say worship, I don't mean they gather to sing songs and pray prayers. This was fertility worship. I would go into more detail, but the parents would not be happy. You'd be talking about more than if a hot dog's a sandwich on the car ride home. And I don't want that. You don't want that. So suffice to say, it was kind of like what you'd experience in the red light district. Odd that Jesus would take his disciples there. Field trip. Where where are we going, Jesus? Oh, we're going to the gates of hell. I better get a permission slip. Dad, come over here. Sign this for me. Why would Jesus do that? But Jesus was being intentional. Jesus wanted to know, who do you say I am? Not just when you're in church or when you're around other believers in Christ, but Jesus wants to know, who do you say I am when you're in a place like Caesarea Philippi? I met a new neighbor a couple weeks ago, and I was asking him, you know, what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I work for the FBI. That's like the coolest answer ever. I mean, the rest of us are like, I'm in the finance department at Boston Scientific. And you're like, whoa, I fell asleep between finance and scientific. Sorry, what was, what was that again? This guy's like, I'm in the FBI. I'd tell you more, but I'd have to kill you, you know? But right away, I got nervous because I'm like, how much does this guy know about me? If I moved into a new neighborhood and I worked in the FBI, you know what I'm doing first. I'm doing a deep background check on all my neighbors. I mean, this guy, he knows when I take my garbage out. He knows everything about me. And that makes me a little nervous. As a pastor, when I tell people what I do for a living, sometimes I can tell they get a little nervous. They'll apologize for swearing a few minutes earlier. They'll tell me about a grandma who's very religious. (laughs) Tell me all about how many years she's gone to church. And I can tell that they're just a little bit nervous. And so I know as a pastor, if I ask people, well, who do you say Jesus is? I'm going to get the right answer. I'm going to get the church answer. 
Jesus wants to ask the question, who do you say I am? Not in church, not around a pastor. He wants to know, who do you say I am in a place like Caesarea Philippi? When you're at a party and someone looks at you and goes, are you a Christian? And they say it with a little disdain in their voice. When you're out on the golf course and you get paired up with someone who keeps making fun of those overly religious types. When you're in a circumstance or a situation and you just know if you share what you believe about Jesus or the Bible, it's not going to go over so well. Who do you say that Jesus is then? Jesus, in the next verse, asks this question. It says, on the way, he asked them, his disciples, who do people say that I am? Apparently, there was a lot of confusion. Who is this man, Jesus? People were talking about it. Another translation, Jesus asked the question this way. He said, who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is an interesting phrase. It was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself. When referring to himself, Jesus most frequently said of himself that he was the son of man. And this phrase emphasized two different ideas. The first one was that Jesus was fully human. That might seem like a strange thing to emphasize. Hey, look at me, I'm human. But if you had descended from heaven, if you were God in the flesh, that might be something you'd want to point out. But second, the son of man emphasized the idea that Jesus was fully God. Son of man was a phrase from the Old Testament in the book of Daniel that referred to this God figure who would come and save his people. And so when Jesus said, I'm the son of man, he was saying, I'm fully human and I am fully God. Next verse. Who do you say the son of man is? The disciples replied, well, let's go through the list here. I've heard some people say John the Baptist. I've heard other people say Elijah. And, and then still there was other people who said that you're one of the prophets. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he was beheaded by King Herod. Because he confronted King Herod over the fact that King Herod had married his brother's wife. And when John the Baptist confronted him about this, it didn't go over so well. And King Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. But now people are going, well, maybe Jesus is John the Baptist who's come back to life. Other people are like, no, 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 no. I think he's Elijah or one of the prophets. And this is where Jesus asks the most important question that anyone will ever ask. He said, but what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Yeah, I, I know what other people are saying. I know what you heard a professor in college tell you. I know what you saw on TV or what you heard on that podcast. But I, but I want to know, who do you say that I am? Not what do your parents believe? When you stand before God one day, you're not going to be able to say, well, my parents believe my grandma was really religious. Jesus wants to know, who do you say that I am? Not what does your pastor believe, not what do your friends think, not what you, did you see on the History Channel. Jesus gets really personal. Who do you say that I am? 
Peter, one of his disciples, speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Quick time out here. Is Jesus God or is he the Son of God? He's both. The correct answer is he's both. Now, I don't have time to get into the details of this, but there is one God. There's not two gods, three gods. There's not God. and There's one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just sang about this, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all distinct from one another, but they are all divine. But they are so unified, they are so one with each other that they are one God. One God eternally existing as three persons. Now this is impossible for us to wrap our minds around. But we're finite human beings. We shouldn't be able to wrap our mind around who God is. But it doesn't logically contradict. There's one God who eternally exists as three persons. So Jesus is God in the flesh, but he's also the second part of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. That's Peter's answer. The question I want to ask today is, what's your answer? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is this man? First, here's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. Names matter because names communicate something about who we are. It's why parents rack their brains trying to come up with a perfect name that will set their kids apart for life. Some parents go creative. So Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, he named his son, I hope I get this right, X-Ash-A-12. That's not his prison number, that, that's his name. That's his, his actual name. Other parents draw inspiration from directions. So Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, they named their daughter Northwest, which I actually think is a beautiful name, but could create some confusion. Where's Northwest? Over there. Pretty sure that's Southeast. Nope, Northwest. Over there. Some parents are downright cruel when they name their kids. And, and for example, these are real people, real names, so says the internet. But the Turner family decided that the perfect name to set their daughter apart in life was Paige. So her name is Paige Turner. The Poole family decided that the, what they wanted to name their son that would give him a leg up is Gene. So his name is Gene Poole. This last one is my favorite because it took so much cruel thought and intention. But the Bacon family named their son Chris. But then they gave him the middle initial P. His name is Crispy Bacon. Now, if, if you're pregnant, if you're expecting right now, let me just give you a few name ideas. The most popular names for girls are Emma, Ava, Olivia. The most popular names right now for boys are Liam, Oliver, and Noah. 
Jason didn't make the list, but it should make your list. It's a good, strong name. I did notice that some geographical names are making comebacks, like Dakota, Dallas, Austin, which got me thinking, are any of the cities that we have campuses in, would those make a good name for your son or daughter? So here's my son, Lino. I mean, that, that could work. Blaine is already kind of a popular name. Woodbury, I think you're out. And Ham Lake, don't get any ideas, okay? I actually saw an article recently. PETA is trying to change the name of Ham Lake to Yam Lake. And they're offering free yams to everybody who lives in Ham Lake if this proposal were to be adopted. And I'm reading this article and I'm like, am I going to have to tell people that we have a campus called Eagle Brook Church Yam Lake? Do I have to tell people I live in Yam Lake? I mean, Ham Lake's bad enough. Come on, just don't do this to a guy, okay? But here's my point. My point is names matter because names communicate something. Forgive me for this because I didn't grow up in church, but, but when I first became a Christian, I thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. So I thought his first name was Jesus and his last name was Christ, which got me wondering, like, well, what happened to the other Christ? And that's a lot of pressure. Michael Jordan's kids have talked about the pressure of playing basketball with the last name Jordan. We think that's bad. What if you had the last name Christ? I mean, you go to the beach, you try to walk on water, you slip down, you fall through. People are like, whose kid is that? I mean, that's a lot of pressure. But as many of you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And Christ is the Greek word for anointed one or sent one. When Peter said, you are the Christ, what he meant was you are anointed, you are sent, you are the one that God promised long ago. Sometimes people will flippantly say, it doesn't matter what we call God. Some people will say he's my higher power. Some people will kind of flippantly say, well, he's the big guy in the sky. Sometimes people will say, well, he's the energy within the universe and within all things. And then there will always be someone who says, well, that doesn't matter. Different names, maybe, but we're, we're talking about the same God. Really? Doesn't matter? I've never, never met a Christian who didn't correct me if I called her Kirsten. And I'm like, well, come on. But names matter because names communicate something. God has revealed his name to us. In the Old Testament, God's revealed name was Yahweh. It was the personal name of God. It was used 7,500 times. There was another more generic name for God, which was Elohim, and that was used 2,500 times. Yahweh was so sacred, it was so holy, that Jewish people would not say it out loud for fear that they would mispronounce it. When scribes were transcribing the Bible and they got to the word Yahweh, they would grab a separate pen and separate ink just to write that one word. That's how sacred and holy it was. In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he says things like this, I and the Father are one. Another time Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Which seems like a strange thing. I am. Okay, you are. What do you mean by that? 
It was a reference to the book of Exodus and the burning bush. When Moses was hearing from God through the burning bush, he didn't know who was speaking. And so he said, well, who am I going to tell people is sending me? And God replied, tell them I am sent you. When Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he was saying, I am God. I and the Father are one. If you ever hear someone say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. It's become kind of a popular statement. Uh, Jesus didn't even think he was God. He never even claimed to be God. That's not true. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, when he said, I am When Peter said, you are the Christ, and Jesus nodded, he was saying, I am God. Jesus was the Christ. Who is this man? Jesus is the most influential person who has ever lived. If there was going to be an award in the first century for most likely to succeed after you die, Jesus wouldn't have won. Jesus never wrote a book. And yet the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, contains many of his words. Jesus never painted a painting. And yet he's become the most frequent subject of modern and ancient art. Jesus never wrote a song. But every weekend, millions, billions of people gather to sing of the name of Jesus. Speaking of the name of Jesus, it's the name by which desperate people pray. We pray in Jesus' name. It's the name by which grateful people worship. And unfortunately, it's the name by which angry people swear. Never heard someone stub their toe and go, Hare Krishna. But they might say Jesus Christ. We name our kids after Jesus' followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We name our dogs after the most influential man in Jesus' day, Caesar. Jesus was never married, but his treatment of women transformed how women are treated today. Jesus never founded a hospital, but almost every hospital that you go in was founded upon the teaching of Jesus to care for the sick. Jesus is the only one who could bring together Chance the Rapper, Kanye West, Tim Tebow, Kirk Cameron, and Chip and Johanna Gaines. I mean, is there anything that that group of people would be like, yeah, I agree with each other on that, except Jesus. Jesus never held political office. But most politicians put their hand on a Bible when they're sworn in. Jesus never produced a movie. But the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, The Passion of the Christ, was made about him. In the first century, the idea that we would orient our calendar around the birth and the death of Jesus Christ was laughable. And yet look at what Martin Luther King Jr. once said. Caesar occupied a palace while Jesus occupied a cross. But one day that same Christ will rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C. so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by the name of Jesus. Jesus' teaching was revolutionary. Jesus said things like, love your enemies. Prior to that, you didn't love your enemies. You defeated your enemies. You crushed your enemies. You didn't love your enemies. 
Jesus said things like, let the little children come to me. In the first century, if you had a baby and you didn't want that baby, you could just leave it by the side of the road. This was a common practice, usually if you had a girl. You just leave her by the side of the road. Who knows what will happen to her body, but she'll just die, and that's fine. Because in the first century, kids didn't have rights. They didn't have value. They didn't have worth. Jesus came along and changed that. When the black plagues and other plagues hit, people fled for fear of death. Followers of Christ stayed to take care of the sick. Unknowingly to them, God used that to build their immunity and they lived. But why would they stay when everybody else ran to save their life? It's because of Jesus' teaching that whatever you do for the sick, it's like you're doing it for me. Love others as you love yourself. Do not judge. Every person has value and worth. We get all of these ideas from Jesus. It's why in Luke 4.32, it says the crowd was amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. There's no debate. There's no greatest of all time goat debate when it comes to the most influential person who's ever lived. It's Jesus Christ. It's because he wasn't a mere man. How could he have been? He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Christ. If he wasn't God and he was simply a man, then how did he teach like he taught? If he was simply a man and he was crazy and thought he was God, then how did he leave the legacy that he left? Jesus was the Christ. He's the most influential person who's ever lived. Who is this man? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. My daughter, Anna, is two and a half. Uh, I've got five kids. I've got a 15-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old and everything in between. But the two-and-a-half-year-old, she loves to sing. And I don't know where she got this from. Her mom and I are not musical at all. But she will sing, and oftentimes she'll make up her own songs. And she'll just pull them out of the blue. It's not a song that we've had her listen to. It's not a song that we've taught her. She just kind of makes it up on her own. And so a few weeks ago, I was out on our screen porch. I was reading my Bible. Anna kind of had her Bible open, and she was looking at the pictures. And all of a sudden, she broke out in this song. And I hadn't been talking to her. I hadn't been teaching her or singing to her at all. She just started singing this song. And so I pulled out my phone to record. Take a look. Yeah, thank you. Now, I showed that to my older kids, thinking they were going to be like, oh, cute. And they looked at it, and they go, Jesus is the way. She doesn't need to say, I want Jesus to be the way. He is the way. I'm like, okay, theological police. 
but they're actually right about that. Jesus is the way. Jesus said that about himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice the word the. He doesn't say I'm a way, a truth, a life. That's how some people in our world treat Jesus. He's one of many ways to get to God. Personal opinion doesn't matter. Up to you. Just one option in the spiritual buffet. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus didn't teach that he was a way, a truth, a life. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Jesus went on in the next verse to say this. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many people come to God except through Christ? No one does. Let me try to explain to you why this would be. In Genesis chapter 1, it's recorded that God created the first human beings, and when he did, he took a step back and he said, it is good. There was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no death at that time. But just a few chapters later in our Bible, in Genesis 3, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. They disobeyed God. And when they did that, what happened? What what did sin do? It, It separated us from God. That's what sin always does. If I were to cheat on my wife, what would that do to our relationship? It would separate. It would break. It would create a gap. That's what our sin does with us and God. Let let me try to illustrate this for you. On this side of the chasm is us. And we're broken. And we're mortal. And we're deserving of punishment. And there's this chasm that's been created by sin. And on the other side of the chasm is God. And with God is eternal life and love, and peace, and satisfaction, and intimacy with God. Again, notice the parallels to marriage. When marriage is going well, you have intimacy, and love, and peace, and satisfaction. And when it's not going well, there's separation. I had one couple say to me, we sleep three feet apart, but it feels like there's a three-mile gap. And that's what there is between us and God. There's a gap. But I want you to know today, God loves you. I don't say this to our church enough, but you need to know today that God loves you. He doesn't just love your sister or some other person that you know. You need to hear today that God loves you. And he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, the son of God, who was fully human so he could represent us, but he was fully God so he could pay the infinite penalty for our sins. He sent him to bridge that gap. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said, you are the Christ, You are the son of God. When Peter said those words, his name wasn't Peter yet. 
When Peter was born, his name was Simon. And Simon, the name carried with it this idea of a reed blowing in the wind, blowing this way, blowing that way. And Peter was. At times, Peter would look at Jesus and he would say, I'm with you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And later on that same evening, he would deny even knowing Jesus. I wonder today, if there are some of us who are like a reed blowing in the wind. That, that, that sometimes we're like, God, I'm, I'm with you. And then we're, when we're around a different person or a different group or a different setting, not so much. I'm praying today that you would stand firm in your faith. I'm praying that no matter who's around you or what's happening in our country or our world, that you would stand firm in your faith, that you would be a rock. When Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, Jesus said back to him, Peter. Peter, the name, meant rock, solid ground. That's who he was. Maybe there's others of us here today who we've always wondered, well, who is this man? And, and I'm not even sure what I believe about Jesus. But maybe today God brought you here not by accidents or by coincidence, but he brought you here to hear that Jesus is the Son of God and that he loves you and wants a relationship with you. So I want to lead you in a prayer. All you have to do is confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you can be saved. The gap between you and your creator can be gone. You can experience intimacy and satisfaction with him. Let's pray together across all of our campuses. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Lord, there are some of us here today who for the first time believe. And they're praying right now with me in the quietness of their mind. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Jesus, be Lord over my life. I pray for the gift of eternal life. And I ask for it in your name. God, there are others of us here who we believe that. We believe you are the Christ. We believe you're the Son of God. But maybe there's an area of our life where we're blown in the wind a little bit. We're wavering back and forth a little bit. God, I pray right now that we would be a rock, that we would stand firm in our faith, and that we would be, never be ashamed of you, the one who gave it all up for us. God, I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, before you run off, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you text the word BEGIN? to 77888. We have some free resources we want to put in your hands. Or if you're on Facebook, you can just comment, begin down in the comments or whatever platform you're on, and we'll get them to you that way. Join us next weekend as we begin the series Drift.